Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome back to another installment of the Holiday Edition of Coffee and Comics. I am, of course, Clinton Robison, as per usual. And we're continuing along with DCU Holiday Bash 2 from 1997. And we're up to the uh, last two sections of this, folks. So, you know, bring it in. Time for some heartfelt moments, right? Right? That's what always comes in the last act. So, of course, you know, you know, we couldn't leave out some uh, DC past a little bit. I mean, we got some DC past in the prior stories a little bit, but, you know, we're talking like some real DC historical stuff here. We're talking Sergeant Rock. And, of course, when I thought Sergeant Rock, I thought Weird Warriors podcast. So I went to Max. And Max said, I would love to do your show, but uh, I charge appearance fees. And no, 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 no. Max said, if you want somebody who knows Sergeant Rock, you can talk to Rich. And I was like, who's Rich? What? I'm Rich. See, that's Rich, folks. (laughs) So, of course, you know, I brought in the expert, the man, the co-host with Max. Well, Max isn't here, so, you know. The the real star of Weird Warriors podcast. We're talking to Rich, folks. Rich, how are you? Hey, great. Glad to be here. <laughs> so it's it's safe to say that uh, Max's assumptions are right. You are the the expert when it comes to Sergeant Rock. Oh yes, indeed. You know, Max doesn't give me very many kudos, but uh, on this one, he really just has no choice in the matter. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, uh, I am the DC war comic guy. I have, uh, like eight long boxes in my basement of just the DC war books. I think I'm about five away from having the entire run of like all of them from the fifties through the eighties. So yeah, I am. Yeah, the DC War stuff is my flagship. So yeah, I've I've got all all the Sergeant Rock appearances. Jeez, I mean that, that's impressive right there. So, and I've uh, I go I've actually gone to cons. Uh, I got to meet you know, the first uh, official appearance of Sergeant Rock was in Army War '83, and uh, I got Joe Kubert to sign my copy of that. I mean, it's in really, really rough shape, you know, coupons cut out, loose pages and everything else. But the fact that I have it and I got Joe to sign it is obviously one of the, you know, one of the ah, items of the collection. 
I know it would tickle me pink, so. <laughs> oh. All right, Rich. Well, before we dive into this, uh, how's holidays going for you? Everything uh, nice and snowy over your way? Uh, not yet. We've, uh, we're starting to hear the early um, early rumblings of uh, maybe getting snow in a couple of days here. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's after Veterans Day and everything, so I guess it can start snowing at any time. I just put my <laughs> vintage car away, so don't have to worry about salt and everything else affecting that. So it, once you get past Veterans Day, I think that's when you just have to just sigh and just like, all right, let's just, so it begins as that meme goes. (laughs) (sighs) (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, so before we hop into this one, uh, I do want to make the listeners aware this is Probably the most graphic story in this anthology, and uh, by graphic, I mean it, it doesn't shy away from the facts. Graphic, yeah. We're we're just gonna say right now uh, if there's a chance anything in this one might be sort of triggering, if if you even have the possibility of thinking that you know, a Sergeant Rock war comic is going to be an issue. You might want to skip ahead, folks. I wouldn't blame you. Rich wouldn't blame you. Well, Rich might, but nah. he doesn't get a say. This is my show. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the guest host just smiles and waves. <laughs> well, you know, you're better at it. <laughs> I tend to scare children. But yes, folks, this this is your caveat right here. This, you know, th- things do get a little heavy. All right, for everyone who is sticking with us, this is A Christmas Carol, written by Chuck Dixon, pencils by Russ Heath, inks by Russ Heath, colors by, you guessed it, Russ Heath, and... Look, folks, no lettering, you know, no, no lettering credit at all. So we get another story where John Costanza gets to actually take a little bit of time off. I think this makes three out of eight. So, you know, I, I guess the man did get some weekends off. <laughs> all righty, so our story opens. December 25th, 1944. Sergeant Rock and Easy Company are in the trenches in the middle of the night. They are cold and they are tired. As Rock seems to nod off a little, he's startled by what appears to be a World War I soldier. The soldier points for Rock, now draped in bullets of red, white, and blue, to accompany him into the strangely lit battlefield. Rock sees the trenches of World War I and the bodies of the fallen strewn about. Soon the soldier fades into the mists and another man takes his place. This man is gaunt, frail, and wearing a tattered prisoner's uniform. The man leads Rock through a concentration camp, proudly displaying their Nazi flag. 
Rock sees all the stacked bodies, strewn bodies of murdered Jewish prisoners, the sight of it all reducing the man to tears. The prisoner, like the soldier before him, fades into the mist, and more excuse me, and a more modern soldier takes his place. This figure, his face covered by combat gear, leads Rock through what appears to be Arlington National Cemetery. One headstone is pointed out in particular. It reads Franklin J. Rock, Master Sergeant, U.S. Army. Rock looks up, realizes the American flag still waves, and smiles. Back in the trenches, an explosion shakes Rock awake. He looks at his men, and they all charge forward. It's another day and another battle, because there ain't nothing easy about being in easy. And that, folks, short and sweet, is A Christmas Carol. So, Rich, what do you think of this? This story actually... <clears throat> Pardon me. It's 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 the classic Christmas Carol. You have the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. That's what these three characters represent. And the just the the colors in the uh, in the story. That's lots lots of blacks and browns. It's it's it's, it's a very somber somber scene there's, there's smoke billowing out of the stacks of the prison camp it's it's very sobering it, it, it's you know if if, some, if a scene can, like this can reduce rock the t- to tears then it, it can reduce anybody to tears i i read as a, a little historical side note uh, i read that when uh, general Patton. You know, old, old blood and guts himself wouldn't visited one of these death camps. He got sick. Patton got sick. That that's that's how disgusting these these the, these places were. But but moving forward into the uh, the part of the story where it talks about Christmas uh, Christmas future. I mean, the the thing that I caught reading this book now is like I said, this book was released in ninety ninety eight, and the I just instantly went forward and just was thinking that this is a guy from you know the current wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else. But yeah, it wasn't until I read the story once or twice and I went back and I thought, wait, this this comic came out in '98, so 9/11 hadn't hadn't happened yet. So this this might have been a reference to Rock anyway, to what we already knew about for Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So reading this particular story now, you know, at this time that this book came out, Christmas future for us would have been Iraq and Afghanistan. So when you when you take that step back and you take this whole story in as a, as a, as a complete piece, I think it's even it's come to mean even more than it, it uh, even more than it initially did. And. Like I said, you know, the, the story was, was illustrated by Russ Heath, and Russ Heath is, was just understated master of, of the genre. I, I'm, he's, I mentioned I met Joe Kubert earlier. I also got to meet Russ Heath. I got his signature on a whole bunch of books in my, in my archives. And the man's attention to detail in an era where you know, if the script says, 
you know, ME109 and the Kyle said, that's nice, I'm going to draw a Stuka. Russ always drew whatever the script called for. So, but, but Russ draws just really, really has always, you know, reached out and just held on to you where you lived. The, the, just, just the attention, the detail and the accuracy is just, <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the bulwarks of, of uh, the industry. I mean, his, his work is, I, I, I could, I could look at his stuff all day, but yes, this, this was an incredibly powerful story. Maybe not necessarily something you would have expected to have found in a Christmas, uh, a Christmas collection, but a very, very powerful story. I mean, you summed it all up right there that like you just took the words out of my mouth and then added to them. I mean, it's a wonderful adaptation of the whole Christmas Carol story. The art is absolutely gorgeous, even when it's horrific. But, yeah, I mean, the, like you said, it's really not what you would have expected in a in a holiday book. And, I mean, it, it serves multiple purposes. You, you think about the people that are deployed at holiday time who can't be with their families. Uh, you know, you think about just everything that... Just imagine what Rock going through... But notice he he never once like has a moment of lamenting that wars continue or anything like that. He just he takes pride in knowing that uh, what they what they're doing there is going to lead to a better tomorrow, or at least the hope of a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is a reason why the Rock books were were so popular. I mean, the the first rock appearance was in issue like eighty three, and from there it went to issue four hundred and twenty two. I mean, only. I mean, starting the sergeant, it was initially our army at war, and then it kind of blended, it, it it kind of uh, faded over to Sergeant Rock. So he he was the lead character in that book for decades, and he was always the most popular uh, character of, of the genre. I mean, like, like I said before, I'm, I'm the DC war comic guy. I mean, like, I loved Sergeant Rock. I loved, you know, GI Combat and the Haunted Tank. I never got into any of the Marvel stuff. I never got into Sergeant Fury or anything else. It was just, it was always the DC stuff that just seemed to have, like, all the masters of the field. You know, like, I got, I got to meet Sam Glansman. I got to meet Dick Ayers. I got to meet, like I said, Joe Kubert and, and, and all these other, you know, just masters, masters, masters of of the genre and yes you know some of the stuff that they put you know ink to paper there's there's just no words for it sometimes i mean they were just just incredible incredible pieces of work so what do you think about them choosing to do this as a silent story i think silent stories can really convey a message better than if you write it out because if, if if you have the word balloons and everything the writer is telling you 
a lot of times what to think. If, 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 if it's just a silent story, you're relying on the artist to tell the tale for you. And like I said, Chuck Dixon got, got Russ Heath to do this. And if anyone has the skill set to pull this off, it's Russ Heath. I mean, you don't have any words in this story because you don't need any words in the story. The only words in the story are what's engraved in Rock's headstone and the, you know, December 25th, 1944, Bastogne, when, when the story starts. And that's it. And you don't need anything else. Everything else, the, the, the story, the art tells the story in and of itself. It, does, it doesn't need any, any uh, extraneous uh, word balloons or captions. Okay, so um, I, I'm not a huge historical expert here. Is is there any significance to December twenty fifth, nineteen forty four, Bastogne? Or is was, it or is it just for the sake of the story? It's probably just for the sake of the story. I mean, uh, during uh, December uh, uh, Christmas nineteen forty four, that would have been during the Battle of the Bulge, the big German counterattack. Um, against American forces in the Ardennes Forest. It was actually the biggest battle that the U.S. Army has ever been involved in. It was like the coldest winter in like in a century. Um, our guys were caught by surprise. It was, you know, you know it, was, it was a month of just the weather uh, inflicted as many casualties as the Germans did. We lost more guys in that fight than we lost in 20 years in the war on terror, just that one battle. And Bastogne was where the 101st Airborne was encircled. It was a vital crossroads town in, in Belgium. And they held out until Patton sliced up from the south with armor and, uh, and lifted the siege. Yeah. So it was, it was just, yeah, you know, Christmas. You know, I guess you could have made the argument it could have been, you know, December 24th. That could, that could have carried the message as easily as December 25th could have. Yeah, but I mean, you know, from the looks of things, it's the middle of the night. It may have just turned December twenty fifth. Yep, that is that is also true. Could be like twelve. <laughs> could have been twelve oh one, Roger. And that, that's that's <laughs> you know. that, that's a solid point. Oh man! I mean, I there's not a lot you can really say about a four page story, but at the same time, this thing speaks volumes. Oh yeah, and and like I said, you know, like, uh, Russ's attention to detail. I mean, that's just like I. What, one of the things that we do on our show is uh, we have this little bit called uh, "Killjoy was here." You know, it's it's a play on words. <laughs> so kill, from from kill, from Kilroy was here, mm-hmm. Killjoy. You know, you know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm spoiling your fun and everything else like that by by attacking things in the story that are wrong or for whatever reason. And like I said, I can count on the fingers of one hand the amount of times I have found something wrong that you know Russ Heath has done in a story, and I got I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing here. I mean, unless you whatever, want to be really nitpicky, that he wouldn't have I mean, what, whatever whatever bullets. little nit whatever little tiny nitpicks I might have had, you know, would have been you just you know, acknowledge for the sake of the story, you know, like the way uh, Rock's name is and in, in, in rank and everything is engraved on his headstone. You know, like, okay, fine, whatever. That's, you know, you got to let the, you know, the average person, you know, know what's, 
being represented on, on, on his marker. So, but yeah, this, like I said, this is, I got, you know, there's nothing on here that I would squawk about them on, you know, on our show. <laughs> well, you know, especially if we're, we're going with the, the, the usual story of a rock dies from the final shot fired at the end of world war two. Yep. They, they wrote that story. It was in one of those like legacy books, you know, like DC legacy it was like, in the, I don't remember when it came out. But yeah, it was that was they finally wrote it, you know the you know like you know it was like you know May eighth or whatever you know you know right before the Germans surrender there was a I think there was um there was a firefight going on there was a civilian that was a little girl was pinned out in the open and Rock ran out to get to to get her and he 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 saves the girl and I think he gets stitched in in, in the process. And yeah, he's he's the he's one of the last he's like the last casualty in, in the ETO, and you know obviously Easy just they completely come apart. You know we know you know their rock has died in the last day of the war. So I'm I'm glad they finally did write the story, even if it wasn't in the main, you know DC, you know Sergeant Rock book. At least it, it did get written at some point. You said that was in DC Legacies. Yes, I think so. Okay, then that's either I think that's 2010 when they that came out. It was that came out like right before they decided to do New 52. Let's see if I can find it real quick here. Well, this is my this is my I'm calling up my private list here. Yeah, I, I, if if uh, I'm reading my list correctly, I think it was DCU Legacies Four. I think that's what that was. Okay, yeah, here it is. You know, at the same time, heroic humans without powers reunite to remember Sergeant Rock in a story by Joe Kubert. Yeah, so that's got to be it. <laughs> that's got to be it. Uh, August eighteenth, twenty ten, was the on sale date. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, Rich, do we have anything else we want to say about this story? Other than it's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I I got nothing to add. It doesn't need anything. I mean, it, it, it's it's a Christmas story. You know, Christmas you know, goes to Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. It, it, it it's it's all you know. Dix, Dixon and Heath did what they had to do, and yep. they did it with flying colors. So. I got yeah, I got nothing to complain about, nothing to add. This was this was fun. this was fantastic. All righty. Well, before we move on to uh, all the who, what, where, and how, uh, since you are a first-time guest on this show, you get to take the lovely coffee and comics quiz. <laughs> okay. Oh, don't worry. You know, it, it's. It's just a set of questions that'll determine whether or not people check you out on further shows and, you know, whether or not they send you hate mail or, <laughs> you know, it, it's nothing like legally binding yet. Give it time. Uh, well, you know, when I can afford lawyers. 
Alrighty, so... Of course, you know, here on the Coffee and Comics podcast, we are pretty partial to a certain brown beverage. But we also support beverages of choice. So, Rich, what do you consider your beverage of choice? (laughs) Well, I drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) I I go to work every morning with two big thermoses in my hand, and I got a a Keurig uh, maker on my desk for for round three when I get there. So... (laughs) And, uh, you know, being, you know, being stereotypical military, I, you know, I drink it, you know, black, like my soul, if I had one as, yeah. as, as the joke goes, uh, <laughs> after, after coffee, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a beer guy also like, like my, like, like my sons. Alrighty. So question two, Betty or Veronica? Oh, Betty all day. I'm, 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 I've always been a girl next door type. I mean, you know, you know, Brock has always just rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Wolfman Paris Titans or Claremont Byrne X-Men? Oof. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a tough one. I think it got I think it got a lean towards uh i guess i gotta lean towards the x-men on that one just just for the the uh, the amount of work that got put in that uh, that uh, claremont and burns put it put into the title and everything i just gotta lean that direction fair enough okay so which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation well, staying on message here, uh, they've been trying to get a Sergeant Rock movie made for, geez, since I think like the 80s. I mean, they've talked about, oh, maybe we can get Bruce Willis to do it. Oh, maybe we can get Arnold Schwarzenegger to do it. Oh, maybe we can get Clint Eastwood to do it. And for whatever reason, it's never gotten made. And it's like, come on. <laughs> I mean, with, with with saving Private Ryan and everything else like that, it's like we can do this. I mean, with 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 CGI and everything else, we 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 could do a phenomenal Sergeant Rock movie, and I would go see that the nanosecond it dropped. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Alrighty, so villain most in need of decaf. <laughs> Oh, well, I mostly need a decaf. I'm <laughs> sorry. The, the first, the, you know, first one is probably the easiest one. The lunge, the lunges to mine would probably be the Joker. Just before like the giggle, tee hee hee ha ha ha, and everything else like that. That needs to, he need, he needs uh, to cut back on his caffeine intake. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, shift directions here a little bit. And who is the best super pet? Super pet. I'm going to make Max laugh when he hears this one. I'm going to go Dino Mutt. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, did you, folks? <laughs> All righty. <laughs> now, you know, I, I need you to put your thinking cap on for this one. 
Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? Ooh. Well, the funny thing is, is like I, I'm kind of, I kind of go back to the uh, the lightsaber fight between Lord Dooku and Yoda when Yoda's all, <laughs> you know, like jumping all over the place because he's such a small target. Dooku's having a hard time getting a, getting a, a beat on him. As small as Mighty Mouse is and as fast as he's going, he might have a puncher's chance if he gets in a couple of like lucky shots. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an outside chance. It's an outside chance. But I'm, you, you, you got you to gotta give the underdog insert joke here you, you, you gotta give the underdog a little bit of a shot every once in a while no no underdog's not involved in this fight just mighty mouse and superman uh, you never know who shows up you know people you know you know drop in from left field from time to time you know the usual you know misunderstanding fight before they team up and go after the bad guys all righty and the final question would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you. Or, comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor. <laughs> hmm. So I'm, I'm going. I'm going. You know, dark side. You know. Uh... <laughs> lean towards the dark side on this one. It's just like, no one needs that kind of crap in their life. You know, having someone like that, will PO'd at you. But Dark of Doom owes me a favor. I'm pretty sure I could think I could figure out a way to get my comics for either cheaper or maybe have him contribute to the cause. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, Hey doom, can you, uh, you need to go throw a rope around Garth Ennis and bring him to my house for about a month and a half. I want to, I want to talk to him about some projects. All righty. Well, you seem to have survived that quiz pretty well. <laughs> Haven't had any fatalities yet, so. Well, as the saying goes, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> You know, I, I'm sure some some of the listeners have had a a few muscle strains from belly laughs at the answers from now and again. Well, I got you with my dynamite drops. <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's worth the, the price of admission, as they say. <laughs> this is a free show. All righty, Rich. Well, I do appreciate you joining me here. I'm really glad we got to discuss this. A little short story here. Hope it didn't like derail anything from you and Max on your coverage of Weird War Tales. Nah, so we we did a um, we did a GI combat book already. We'll, we'll probably aim to do at least one of each of one of the uh, the big five books as time goes by. We're like I got a our fighting forces mentally picked out. I haven't decided what Sergeant Rock book we're going to do yet, but we'll we'll do a Sergeant Rock solo book at some point also because he got to. Because <laughs> you got to. All righty. Well, do do share all your contact information and such where people can find you on the internet if they want to learn more. 
Okay. Well, uh, we got our uh, Weird Warriors podcast page on Facebook. You can be reached at weirdwarriorspodcast at gmail.com. Our episodes drop on uh, your favorite podcast platforms generally every other Wednesday. And uh, we have uh, one coming out this upcoming Wednesday, actually. I think it's, you know, I don't even remember what episode we're up to now. Issue 32. Two, I think would work. Tales thirty two, I think is what we're because <laughs> we, we record so far out. It's, it's it's hard for me to to remember. Okay, I'm writing the script for this one, but we recorded this one, and this is the one that's going to come out next. It's, I get, it gets kind of it gets kind of gets spun up sometimes. I don't remember which which uh, what one we're up, but yeah, which one we're up to. <laughs> well, safe to say, you know, there will be plenty of episodes for everyone to check out, though. Oh yeah, we, we, one of the things we we joke about is me and Max are always like we initially started this just to talk about comics amongst ourselves, and we've actually developed a surprisingly uh, faithful fan base. You know, so so a lot of people really you know uh, weigh in and are thoroughly enjoying the ride. So now it's just like you know, Weird War Tales went to 123 issues, and we're at issue. Th- we're about to release issue 31 so yeah we got a we got a ways to go (laughs) but we want to we want to get them all and we're going to include all of the um there's a four issue mini series in the 90s and like two one shots in the 2000s where and we're including those also because you know we have to And folks, if you have even the slightest interest in war comics, definitely check this show out. It is it'll it'll blow you away with how much they bring to to the table. It, it's definitely you know worth twice the listens that the show is. So go out there and check it out, folks. Please, <laughs> if you don't like it, it's Max's fault. <laughs> That's been my motto on this show for. Um, the last five minutes, at least. So you know, yeah, yeah, pile on the co-host that, that didn't show up, right? That, that, that works, right? <laughs> Max, if you're listening, we love you. Oh yeah, well he he does his solo shots and other shows and stuff, so I I, I have no doubt that he'll uh, he'll 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 get his uh, vengeance on me on other on other shows. So. <laughs> All righty, well. This is the part where I take a quick break, throw in a promo, and come back with the final story. So stick around. There's something like 115,000 English language podcasts in the world, and no doubt hundreds of them are aimed at the comic book genre. There are sci-fi comic podcasts. Horror comic podcasts. War comic podcasts! But... Do you know what we need? Two guys crazy enough to combine those fields and make a podcast of their very own? Yes. It's the answer to a question no one asked, so that's why we are answering it. Such a gaping hole in the podcast landscape must be filled post-haste. Did you really just use the word post-haste? The Weird Warriors podcast covers the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll also check out other horror and war comics published by DC, Marvel, Charlton, and any other targets that may present themselves to us. 
I have the war books, and he has the horror books. So if you're ready to take a nice, relaxing look at the hell of war in comic book form from the age of the caveman to the distant future, then report for duty by subscribing to the Weird Warrior Podcast, brought to you by the Brothers Fleeing, wherever fine podcasting provisions are issued. Vampires. Aliens. Dinosaurs. Alien dinosaurs. There's something for everyone. General Sherman said war is hell, but do you know what else is? Weird. For our purposes, yes. So tune in to the Weird Warrior podcast today. Do it. That's an order. Yes, sir. Don't call me sir. I work for a living. But we're not getting paid for this. Dang. Well, I'm Max. And I'm Rich. And we're going to be bringing you the Weird Warriors podcast, where we will promise to make war no more. All right, folks. We're back with the second half and sadly last story in this anthology. But don't get sad, folks. Don't get sad. I know, you know, we've had a lot of fun along the way, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears. Well, maybe not tears. But it's okay because we're going to end with a bang. And what a bang because this is somebody I never thought would agree to be on this show, folks. Because, you know, she kind of has a distaste for um, a certain half of this show's entire concept. But it's okay. Because, you know, it's the holidays. We're all here for just fun and enjoyment and, and possibly forgiveness. But anyway, I just want everybody to welcome the lovely, the loquacious Stella. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I don't. Now, people try to send me, I don't know if it's political advertising. I don't know if it's medical advertising. They try to send me these documents and journals that are saying that coffee is healthy for you. But I really, I just don't believe it, no matter how many are sent to me. (laughs) Well... I, um, are you saying I'm going to have to like decrease the amount of postage that I put out or <laughs> increase? You've been wasting, yeah, and stamps are super expensive. So you, you're really trying to evangelize your beliefs and it's just not working. <laughs> Got it. Switch to email. <laughs> oh, so how are you doing, Stella? I am making it. I'm happy to be here. It is, uh, you know, the weather has taken a turn for the better in terms of temperatures. So I'm happy about that. But yeah, just busy, busy having, you know, my own podcast and grad school and everything. So behind the curtain, Clinton had to ask months in advance for me to come on here. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes, you don't. You just don't know. So I looked ahead. And I'm like, you know, as far as I know, that should be fine. And then he keep kept reaching out, and I'm like, yeah, I think you know my schedule is going to work out. And even this week, I was thinking, I think it'll be okay. But there's some weird stuff going on with one of these assignments, so you just never know. But it all worked out, and here we are. So I'm excited to talk about this particular story. Well. Hopefully this assignment goes well, and yeah. uh, hopefully the story goes well. 
And speaking of story, this one is called The Old Lane. Writers are Devin Grayson and Brian Stelfreeze. Pencils by Brian Stelfreeze. Inks by Carl Story. Colors by Lee Lowridge. And letters by, you guessed it folks, John Costanza. Yeah, that man's been busy this entire book. (laughs) Except for like two stories. Like two stories. Alrighty, so just a quick summation here. Our story opens up with Nightwing and Batman finishing up dealing with some crooks. Nightwing is back in Gotham for the holidays, and Batman reminds him that he probably has some place to be tonight. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We shift scenes to Oracle, who gets an email asking what she's up to tonight. She responds, in true Stella fashion, that she's (laughs) staying in, and to leave her alone. She immediately gets a phone call, asking if Chinese food is okay. She hangs up on the caller. Nightwing finally just opens up a window, after basically exhausting all his other options, and says he can't eat it all himself, so she might as well get to the rooftop. The two tease each other back and forth, eventually landing on the subject of mishearing things said. (laughs) Dick admits that when he was a kid, he assumed Mistletoe was actually a lesser-known villain that shot rockets out of his feet. Likewise, Babs says uh, she wanted to know what New Year's had to do with... um, an old lane sign. This slips into a bit of sadness as they both recall what caused Barbara to end up in the wheelchair, but she quickly changes the subject. She wants Dick to open the gift she got him. Elvis mistletoe. Good enough for a king's kiss. Barbara says that she's getting tired and returns downstairs, leaving a stammering nightwing on the roof. As she returns to her office, she finds a note that says, Happy New Year, Barbara, attached to a signpost from Old Lane. And that, in a nutshell, is the Old Lane. So, Stella, what do you think of this uh, little story? This, (laughs) I enjoy this a great deal. I think this is, I mean, first of all, thank you for inviting me on for this particular story because I think you know how much I love Dick and Babs. And I feel like in a nutshell, this summarizes what their relationship is like. And obviously this is a very particular point in time in their relationship, but you kind of see this throughout whether they're together or they are not. Just their intimacy, both on a friendship level as well as, oh, could there be something more going on? The fact that they know each other very well historically as well as more personally and that Barbara, I think more so than Dick, because Dick, I think, can laugh at himself quite easily. But at this point in time, and Barbara gets a bit better about that, but we're still, you know, within living memory, as if we ever leave it, we're within living memory of the killing joke. And so this earlier Barbara until she really kind of, I think, 
for lack of a better phrase, <laughs> gets her legs under her and uh, within the Birds of Prey and, and the superhero community still is pretty self-conscious and has lower self-esteem. And so I think you kind of can see that a bit with with how she's talking about certain things that she felt stupid. And then, of course, yeah, we that whole mistake, which hopefully we talk about that kind of line of questioning. But overall, yeah, I think uh, it this just a couple pages what was it like six or seven pages really encapsulates i think the beauty of their relationship and that they know each other really well that you know dick had gotten that particular sign for her and then she got that joke gift as well and batman also knows how close they are which you know we know that batman's a jerk deep down but deep (laughs) deep down he's he might be an okay kind of guy so just to to let almost prod dick oh well i thought you'd be somewhere da 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 so i very much enjoyed this okay um so where were dick and babs at this time yeah so we are i mean according to the cover date i guess it says it's january 1998 so babs is a member of the justice league at this point in time which is very big Uh, She kind of had already rounded out her Suicide Squad membership. And Birds of Prey is just now starting up as well. We've had some of those one-shots and starting to get into the actual series. So she is, she's got a friendship uh, tentatively with Dinah, but they don't know each other really until the Hunt for Oracle do they not have that intimacy. And then with Dick, I did see that, I guess, issue 16 was out on stands. I did, ha- you know, see, like, oh, what was going on? So he is in Bloodhaven and is doing his officer thing, I think, at that point in time. And she pops up frequently throughout his entire run. And there's lots of flirtation over the the radio waves, even though nothing has actually happened. You don't really see something happen until... No Man's Land, that's kind of where there's a big push, which there's a bit of a continuity flub because they get together kind of in Nightwing, but then I don't remember what book it was, but over New Year's, he kisses Helena. So there's a bit of a confusion, but of course, Birds of Prey number eight is really big for them. So it's like pre an actual physical romantic relationship with them, but there's already something, there's always been something between them, and they do have that really close bond and friendship that you uh that you see here that they visit each other she helps him out he helps her out that kind of thing so hopefully that gives people enough context of where they are ironically in my coverage i'm in 2003 right now and they just unfortunately broke up and it's interest it was interesting reading this because a lot of what barbara was having problems with at that time it's very complicated but one of the reasons is he's just like not really taking care of himself but another reason is that every time he's around her he kind of brings up the past whether inadvertently um kind of doing gymnastics around her or he'll just bring up past cases and it's very hard for her so it's interesting to see this here where they're also reminiscing but it's not as emotionally straining for her okay you see folks i did say loquacious (laughs) excuse me Several years ago, I probably would only say a couple words here and there. So this is your privileged listeners. And you're getting all this content for free. Indeed. All righty. 
So I pretty much have to agree with you. This is a great little story that shows Dick and Babs as, well, I mean, basically old friends and a good couple. Whether they're on again, off again, you know, whether Dick's with Starfire this month, we don't know. <laughs> How dare you say her name in my presence? Yeah, I bet the Titans HBO Max series is just wonderful for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, let's not get, you know, I hadn't been watching that. And then when I visited a friend, she's like, let's just watch these couple episodes. I want to see what's going on. When I first saw Barbara, I thought it was Catwoman because obviously with what she was doing. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I just had to get that reaction out there. Uh-huh. Okay, so what did you think of the art in this? I enjoy the art. It's, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favorite, but I always kind of judge how is uh, Barbara portrayed and mm-hmm. our mutual friend, Professor Allen, a.k.a. Professor Cheapskate, as I call him, who is my chief hairstyle correspondent. I think he would like her hair. Which has a, a nice uh, cut to it and color. But, yeah, I think it's it's something that I've seen. I feel like it was, you said it's Brian Stelfreeze, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, he, yeah, he's someone that I have seen frequently, so I'm used to it. I have a very particular, I kind of like, um, I don't know, I kind of call it like a punk rock style, like Robbie Rodriguez or almost like bubblegummy stuff. I mean, Babs Tar, that kind of thing. So that's almost like my preference kind of cute but edgy so this isn't like my number one choice but i think that it fits the story and it's successful and i i would say that it's good agreed yeah it's not really the dc house style at the time Mm -hmm. but it but it it really fits really makes you feel like it's just two people having a nice little chat and there's no nightwing but what did you think of that? That is, I know, this may have been pre-Nightwing uh, appreciation, uh, Nightwing butt appreciation, I'm not sure. Or maybe people were just nervous, <laughs> nervous about uh, showing their love for it. But yeah, you only get a little peek on, I don't even know what page, 49, where just like the top where they're looking out there over the, the moon set. But yeah, unfortunately, thank you for bringing that up, that that's something they messed up on. Or, you know, maybe since it's a New Year's story, everybody already unwrapped their Christmas gifts. So you're saying that the butt is the Christmas gift? Isn't that what you wanted for Christmas? Well, I thought this was a G-rated podcast, so I didn't want to go out of control. Nope, we we border into PG, <laughs> PG-13 some episodes, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even know exactly how... It started. I feel like it was the Nightwing series. No, I think it was the Grayson series with uh, Tom King and Tim Seeley that people, because there were characters like pointing to it. But I don't know if there's anything predating that when when that finally happened. But I think it's great. And I unabashedly objectify Nightwing, which some people call me hypocrite because, of course, I don't want... Women being objectified, which, you know, before the, the mic turned on, we were talking about Dana Sterling. But, uh, yeah, here we are, you know. Maybe it's a double negative because it's it's 
you know, a, a double standard of a double standard. So I think I think I'm okay. I'm in the in the clear for that. Well, considering DC has leaned into that skid so hard that they have t- just taken all the rubber off the wheels. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily a double standard. I mean, if if they're promoting it, then. Very true. Very true. I do wonder, have you, no, I'm assuming because I just feel like everyone's read it, but have you read The Killing Joke? Yes. Okay. So this, I kind of squinted my eyes at this bottom um, on page 50 there about mistakes. Um, and she, she kind of snaps at him at one point. And he said, uh, let's see, I didn't mean anything. What happened to you wasn't a mistake. What did you do? Open a door. I would have done the same. Batman would have. (laughs) So let me just say that I do somewhat, and this is victim blaming, but I think it was very irresponsible to not check the, what is that called? The peephole? Mm -hmm. Before opening your door in Gotham City. And to say that, I mean, I see what he's getting at to, you know, comfort her and that, oh, of course, anyone would do that. But I think you have to realize where you are and maybe not do that sort of situation. And also, I don't know if I would necessarily consider it a mistake, which now I might contradict myself. But just the fact of, like, opening the door, how could that be necessarily considered a mistake because you would wish that you lived in a place where that wasn't a fear that you could open it um but i just i've i have called into question why she wouldn't check the peephole because you know her father was already getting threats and it was uh it's a, a dangerous city so that is an interesting little scene that they had there and i'm not sure that i necessarily agree with it but what do you think about that and and using the word mistake and him trying to say that both he and bruce would have done the same thing well if if memory serves in the killing choke on that exact page uh, barbara and jim are having the conversation that the joker is loose and Right. You know, it's dangerous out there, and ding dong, okay, let's go answer the door. Yeah, it's pretty careless. Um, I, I'm kind of like Dick here. I Mistake is probably one of those words that you didn't necessarily mean to use, but it's definitely going to get you in trouble now that you've said it, and there's no backpedaling out of it. Um... Mm. I'm kind of skewed because it's, it's like, well, it's human nature to answer the door. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you grow up in Gotham, you probably check. Um, ooh, that, that's kind of one of those um, plot dictates it. <laughs> yeah, it's also just crazy that someone has now this... this new physical lifestyle because of opening a door, Mm -hmm. which just is like so disrespectful to the character. Um, But yeah, you know, this just, and this is 1998. So I guess that was that 10 years past. Was that 88 or 89 that that came out? Something like that. Yeah. Um, 
so we're again in kind of in recent memory, but this stuff, it's just the fact that it's always brought up, you know, that this is something that her character will always carry with her is really unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, she can look in the mirror and it's always going to be with her. But why always consistently have these these conversations, which is really funny uh, or, or unfortunate, I guess, is the better word. Yeah, it, it's kind of the whole Hank Pym hit Janet Van Dyne once. It's oh. always going to get brought up. Yeah. And become like the defining thing about this character. And it's like, granted, you know, there's there's a difference between, you know, one person hitting another while they're temporarily insane and another character getting, uh, for lack of a better word, crippled mm. from, a, a, you know, what was intended to be a non-continuity story. But, but yeah, even, even in a holiday story, Barbara can't escape somebody <laughs> writing about the killing joke. I know. <laughs> I w- yeah, but I mean, yeah, the old the old lane, you know, kind of taking that trip down there. I guess inevitably you're gonna you're gonna end up there. And they do mention Killer Moth, who's who's my favorite rogue of hers. <laughs> so I guess inevitably we are gonna get back to somebody else mm-hmm. that they also consider to be a great nemesis of hers. Yeah, I like that. You know, oh, Mister Brave takes on Crazy Quilt. Oh, excuse me, yeah. Little Miss I Fight Killer Moth. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like the title, The Old Lane, because at first it's like, oh, okay, you know, they're going down memory lane. That's nice. And then it, it all winds up with a pretty good joke at the end. Yeah, yep. Oh. Well, I have covered everything I want to say about this. Stella, do you have anything you want to say that we haven't already? I'm just looking to see if there's anything else I would say. That last image is very interesting just with her setup. And you can see the Oracle mask as a bust on her Mm -hmm. desk and... She has an interesting, I don't know, tile layout of puzzle pieces. Yeah, Gotham, which I don't know if that's like a little nod to the future because it looks like it might be a map of Gotham, but divided up. And we know that that is one of the things that they did for No Man's Land is divided up uh, by territories. But no, I I did wonder. Again, I wasn't sure where this was taking place until after I had read it, whether there was going to be a kiss or not because of the mistletoe. So it's very like, will they, won't they? But I, I like how it, well, I shouldn't say I like how it ended, but I like that it was a won't they, but, you know, potentially for something more. But it was a bit, a bit sad because they seemed to be having such a fun time. And then just, you know, something got in the way and... and Babs wanted to go in, and Dick basically had nothing else to do but to leave. So, but then it ends on the nice note of, oh, he remembered before I even said, and and here's his gift to me. So overall, I would say, again, just, yeah, very representative of their relationship in this era. And I thought it was, I would say, pretty beautiful. Um, 
you know, I always want them to be together, but it is a very complicated relationship, and I think we see that here. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of complicated relationships, since you are a first-time guest on this show, you get to take the lovely Coffee and Comics quiz. Whoa. I wasn't worried about this. I'm going to have to speak to my advisor, but continue. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, j- just saying, you know, this, these may be the most important questions you answer this year. That, that includes your entire grad school experience. Whoa. Okay. Deep introspective questions here, Stella. So I can't wait. But the last time that someone said that, they were asking me questions about who would I rather date, Dr. Doom or Dr. Doom, or something ridiculous like that. And <laughs> I was like, neither. <laughs> we both know who asked me that question. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was, you know, employed by the Latvian Polling Association. So I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> All righty. So here on the Coffee and Comics podcast, we do have a high opinion of coffee, but mm. it's it's okay. It's okay. We're accepting of all. <laughs> you know, we we support beverage of choice. So, Stella, what do you consider your beverage of choice? Well, I will. I'll confess something here to your audience today that because we're in this particular season, though I think this is technically coming out around Christmas, I do really love pumpkin spice lattes. So I will at least uh, say that. My choice, uh, my favorite beverage, though I don't get it a lot just because I, I try not to drink many sugary drinks, is orange soda. Hands down. I do believe you are the first person to say orange soda on here. <laughs> I'm so glad. What did Thomas say? I would have to rewind, but I'm okay, pre- no, I'm pretty okay. sure he said coffee. Okay, of course he did the turn coke. And coffee and um I think he said diet cokes as well, but There you go. Yeah, okay. that, that's a couple episodes ago and further beyond that in my memory, so I have the memory of a goldfish, I hope you know. I see. Yeah, you know, basically well, the opposite of Babs here. Okay. Yes, and I did Yes, which I was interested in that they they did bring that up because Barbara does to a certain extent have a superpower. And it depends on how writers use it, but they in this era I feel like they didn't mention it very often, so it's interesting that they throw it out here. So what you're saying is um Barbara is the Michael Bailey of comics. Interesting. That might be true. That might be true. I Yeah, I don't remember issue number. I mean, I know the issue number of Barbara's first appearance and Birds of Prey 8, like I said. But otherwise, I'd be like, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I really have too many apples of information in my brain. And every time something new pops up, it's another apple falls. So I really cannot hold that within my space. Alrighty, so next question. Are you Team Betty or Team Veronica? Oh, ooh. you know, this is number one. I get confused who is who. Is Betty blonde or brunette? Betty is blonde. Betty is blonde. 
Is Betty a cheerleader? Uh, depending on what you read, they are both cheerleaders. I see. Can I be Team Sabrina instead? Because that's technically still in the Archieverse. Absolutely. We'll accept Okay, that. thank you. <laughs> I don't know enough about Archie to choose between the two, so I'll just go with somebody that I do know about. <laughs> we will accept that. All right, so Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Oh, wow. I, I'll go with Claremont Burn X-Men, and I know that this is probably a betrayal to my podcasting big bro, Tom, because I'm sure he probably chose Titans because I know how special they are to him. But I did not grow up with the Titans. I didn't really grow up with the X-Men either. But once I discovered Kitty Pride, I was reading voraciously all of her uh, appearances. And so I was getting some of these ex- essentials. And basically it was all the Claremont stuff. And I really loved what he was doing. So I have to say that would be what I choose. Plus, who wants to be with Starfire, you know, <laughs> and then that crazy Raven arc or whatever she does with the wedding. Oh, goodness. No, 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 no. Everybody <laughs> forgets that happened. That, that, that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> okay. So which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? And I realize this list gets shorter by the day. Interesting. Everything's out there. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was going to be multiple choice. Oh, no, Sorry. No, no, no. no, this is um, whatever you choose. Oh, okay. Which, could you restate the question again? Since I was waiting for the, <laughs> the options. Oh, sorry. And now I'll yes. pay more attention Which to comic part. book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? To be honest, I, I'll play to type and say... Well, frankly, a Birds of Prey cartoon, if we try to cartoon, it might be more successful than the live action, though I did enjoy the live action. So I would say that. And then, though I did like the movie, but I'm talking about the TV series. And I think it would be amazing to either adapt Cassandra Cain's Batgirl run or even more so a Brian Q. Miller's Stephanie Brown run as an animated show. But I wouldn't want it to be. I think it could be the level of fun and darkness that Young Justice plays with. But I wouldn't want it to teeter any darker than that. Because I think they have to keep that levity that uh, BQM had. But those would be amazing to see on screen. Especially since we don't see much of either of those characters. We have seen them in Young Justice. But just to give them that focus. Or you know, build up a team and have Barbara there would be amazing so that'll be my my play right there okay so villain most in need of decaf oh oh my gosh of decaffeinated let me think of someone who is off the wall um wow that's a good question Decaffeinated coffee, and it it should be in the DCU. It can be any anything in the com- realm of comics. Hmm. 
thinking of it's either going to be a Spider-Man person or a Batman person. And I don't want to say the person whose name is Jay because that's just a cop out and I don't care for him anyways. You don't like J. Jonah Jameson? <laughs> oh, actually. Well, that, he's that not a villain, though, is he? I don't consider him a villain. He He's antagonistic at times. But, um, you know, if it were a Spider-Man villain, I would probably say Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, would need decaf because he is legitimately insane. As for, like, a Barbara Gordon or Batman villain, um, yeah, I don't know. It, and they've changed so much because I think, oh, could it be Mad Hatter? I don't know. I think if it were the Riddler from the Batman, the animated series, then I would choose Edward Nigma from that one because he does seem wound very tightly. And then when Batman inevitably thwarts him, he just kind of goes off. But yeah, those will be my two if I'm to cross pollinate there. Interesting choices. Okay. So can mighty mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? I would say yes. Yes given uh, proportional strength. Um, And I know what that means, proportional strength. And even though... And Superman would also have his own proportional strength. But we know that... If we look at Ant-Man's example, that he can do some crazy stuff when he's small. So I think using his strength to his advantage and Muddy Mouse is probably always it's been a long time since I've seen a Muddy Mouse cartoon but I feel like he's always up against bigger people that I think he he would be able to take him down like temporarily I don't know if he'll be out for the count but he'll at least I think be able to lay him out flat very good alrighty and the last question and this is a toughie uh oh would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Oh, no. Or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Whoa. Wow. Did you make this because of our mutual enemy? <laughs> Possibly. Notice how I switched from friends to enemy in the last 15 minutes. I think I will. Now, this is he's probably going to shout evilly and say yes and things like that. But it's probably better to have Dr. Doom on your good side than on your bad side. So I will say expensive comics because I don't get too many anyways. So if I just get one or two, hopefully my my bank account won't be crying out for mercy. And then, yeah, I'll be able to to. Use Dr. Doom. Maybe Dr. Doom can help me get a, a pretty good teaching job after I get my master's. So I'll, I'll hold that in my pocket. Good approach. All right, Stella. Well, that was enlightening. <laughs> I'm so glad you think so. <laughs> oh, and I want to thank you for being on here. Thank you for agreeing to slum it up. Yes, I'll probably take a shower afterwards, but I'm very happy to have been asked and, uh, give, yeah, spend time with you. Alrighty. Well, before you go, do let people know where they can find you. Oh, yes, here we are. 
So I am my own podcast. My solo venture is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And you can find that over at the Batman universe dot net. And as I said, I'm in 2003 currently. So I'm looking at Cassandra came Batgirl. And I think I am like have a third of that to go. And Birds of Prey, I've just hit the Gil Simone era. And then with my podcast in Big Bro, Tom Panarese, I'm over at the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. And we look at, we have a show called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. And it's basically a lovely book club and we alternate picks and lead discussions. So he, let's see, I guess by the time the show comes out, uh, well, we did Pet Cemetery for October, and uh, he led that one, and then I am leading Papillon by Henri Charrier for November, so I guess that'll give you an idea. And then my recently completed limited series, Dear Reader Jane Eyre Podcast, can be found over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And that was 10 episodes looking at various adaptations of Jane Eyre. And I've been renewed for a second season. So I think I know what I'm doing. And that might be coming around in 2023. So that's where you can find me. And then my my Twitter handle is at Batgirl to Oracle. So you can always either gang up on me or if you want to play on my team and gang up on other people and troll them, I'll, I'll be glad to have you as an associate. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is everyone should send you Dana Sterling and coffee memes. Got it. That is not at all what I'm saying. But if you do that, you will pay the penalty. It's worth the fine, folks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We'll see. All righty. Well, again, thanks so much, Stella, for joining me. And this is the part where I get to take a little break and then dream up a conclusion to this whole shebang. <laughs> okay. So what day? My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I've been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. 
Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes. And follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Hey, everybody. Clinton here. Thanks for sticking with me. This is, of course, the ending of the holiday 2022 stuff. I want to thank Rich and Stella for joining me on this episode, and I want to thank all of my guests for joining me throughout this. And thank you, lovely listeners, for sticking with me through this and everything else. So, I'm going to make this brief. All the feedback will be compiled and covered in a future episode. And I am hoping to actually churn out more content in the upcoming year. So, you should be hearing from me within the next few weeks, folks. So... This is where I get to tell you that this is the place where the coffee is never too cold and the comics are never too old. Or the other way around. Whichever. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg.